0: Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The world we live in gives us lots of reasons to be anxious. God gives us, in his great mercy, a path from anxious to peaceful. In Tim Keller's book, On Prayer, his wife, Kathy, wrote these words. Imagine that you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill every night before going to sleep, that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No, it would be so crucial that you would not forget. You would never miss. Lloyd-Jones, a prolific speaker and author, once said that he, a prolific author, had never written on prayer because of a sense of personal inadequacy in this area. I stand before you this morning preparing to preach this message feeling exactly the same as Lloyd-Jones. I personally have been through great seasons of intimacy in prayer and seasons of distance. Tim Keller himself, if you'd read his book on prayer, talks about coming to this new Affection for prayer. This new realization that prayer is foundational. That was about fifteen years into his ministry, and then it was a two-year journey before it came, before it became more than just. Before it became more natural to him, prayer is a process. It shouldn't be. We make it that way in our flesh. I make it that way in my flesh. That's what we want to talk about this morning. This study this morning came out of the direct prompting of God, as they all should. Prayer should be the foundation of everything that we do as Christians. Individually and as a group, as a church. This summer, we are planning to spend nine Sundays on the topic of prayer. Unlike last summer's summer series, we're not following a specific book. We will be quoting from a few key books, like the one from Tim Keller, the couple from Paul Miller, and others. And we'll be recommending those by name along the way. But we have, as a leadership team, have selected nine key topics, nine questions about prayer that we want to cover together. I'm intentionally not going to list them this morning, primarily because they are subject to change as God leads us. Again, this will be different than our typical expository preaching. We will be taking the broad topic of prayer and breaking it down into many topics and laboring to learn what Scripture teaches us about them. In my perspective, this is, and I've shared this before, this topical teaching is a much more difficult way of teaching and preaching and preparing. Our first mini-topic this morning is why pray? We first want to define what is prayer, and the video we just watched did a very good job of that, and I have a few other thoughts I want to add to that. But I think it's important if we're going to talk about prayer, we need to understand what prayer is. Then we're going to look at why, dig into the why in Scripture of why we are called to pray. And then finally, in trying to wake ourselves up or trying to draw attention to the lies that Satan sows about everything that he tries to distract us from, we're going to look at the why nots. Why do we not pray? What what keeps us from it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for the gift of prayer. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you, directly to you, wonderfully and uninhibited by you. Any roadblocks to prayer that are put up are put there by us, Father. God, may we learn and grow in how to tear down those roadblocks, to tear down those obstacles, Lord, by your Spirit as we study The gift of prayer today and over the next few weeks, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is prayer? Well, Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and you've heard me refer to this many times. It defines it as something addressed to a supreme being consisting of adoration, Or a sense of our understanding, our expression expression of God's glorious perfection. Confession of our sins. Supplication for mercy and forgiveness. Intercession for blessings on others. And thanksgiving. Or an expression of gratitude to God for His mercies and benefits. A prayer, however, may consist of a single petition. That's a pretty wordy and and very expressive way of defining prayer, but there's so many aspects to prayer. The things we can pray for. The way we can pray. In its essence, prayer is communication with God. It's talking to God. Prayer is our opportunity to get personal with God. As you sit here this morning, how do you build friendships? How do you build any relationship? When my wife and I were dating, we literally spent hours every night on the phone, talking, laughing, learning about each other. We communicate. We talk. That's how we build relationships. If we want to get to know God, we have to spend time talking with him. Yes, we have his scripture. We can read the scripture. It's important. But if we truly want to relate to God, to know God in our hearts, we have to talk to him. We have to communicate with him. But it's different. It's different than those human relationships. We're going to get to that a little bit later. Again, Tim Keller, he says in his book that prayer is the way that we know God, the, fi- the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is our opportunity to appeal to, to relate to the creator. Of the universe. Anytime you have a topical study like this, there are many little side trails that you could take off on. One tempting one here is, how do we pray? We know what prayer is, but how do we pray? What does prayer look like? That's next week. That's the next question, a topic we look to dig into. Well, now that we have defined prayer, Why should we pray? Why should we seek to have a relationship with the creator of the universe? That seems like a self-answering question. We're saying this morning one truth, that God is madly in love with you. That is fact. No matter how we treat God, how we neglect God, how we disobey God, God is madly in love with you. He wants a relationship with you. He gives us a choice so that we can reciprocate that love. And when we choose not to reciprocate that love, He grieves over those who are lost. Number one reason why we pray is because God is madly in love with us. God chases after us. From the first breath we take... Until our last, God desires that we would take the opportunity to turn to him to return his love. He wants fellowship with his children. If you paid any attention at all over the past 9 years that I've been standing up here and preaching, you know that I firmly believe in the sovereignty of God. The truth that God is in control. If that is not true, then who is in control? In moments of weakness, I would like to think I could be in control. But I know myself too well, and I know that that would not go well. There is so much I don't know. There is selfishness. There is laziness. There is humanity in me as a result of this fallen world. I, in sane moments, know that I don't want to be in control. And if I can't trust myself, then who else could I trust? If I believe that God is who he says he is, pure in every motive, and perfect in every decision, why would I question his sovereignty? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We have our plans, but God establishes our steps. And not only is God in total control, he already knows what we want to need. Psalms 139, verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Just before His model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, verse eight, "For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. If God already knows, then why? If God is in control, then why? What are we doing? Prayer is not to get what we want. It's not even to get what we need. The goal of prayer is communion with God. God wants us to recognize our needs. God wants us to recognize that He is the source of our needs. But what He desires most of all is relationship with us. Remember last week in Hebrews, our little promised lands that we talked about? Don't be so focused on the destination that you miss the journey. You remember that statement if you were here? We get so focused on the need, the want, the trial, the frustration, the struggle, that we ignore the journey that we're in in the midst of it. Prayer is that journey. Prayer gives God the glory. Psalm 79.9. A prayer. The psalmist says, Help us, O God of our salvation. Then he goes to the why, For the glory of your name. Help me for your glory, God. Not to satisfy my flesh. Not to get me what I want. Help me for your glory. Deliver us and atone for our sins. Again, why? For your name's sake. We are appealing to the creator of the universe to atone for our sins, to wipe away our wretchedness. And the pure attitude is not to save our wicked souls, but for God's glory. Because in saving our souls, He defeats the enemy. That's the purpose of prayer. It's not about us. We're not to make it about us. God makes it all about us in his love for us, his indescribable love for us. He makes it about us. And then as a result of his perfection and his love, we are to make it about him for his glory because it's out of his glory that all are saved. So as we make it about him, then we're pointing people to God because we can't save people. Only God can save people. So the reason for glorifying God is because, number one, he's the only one worthy to be praised and glorified. Number two, he's the only one who can save everybody else. He's the only one who can save us. So in giving the glory and the honor to him, we are pointing everyone to the source. That's the point of prayer. It's about God. We pray to bring ourselves into alignment with God. Again, not to get what we want or need. When we get what we need, when we rejoice in those things, it's to bring glory to God. Luke chapter 11, verse 4. In, again, in his model prayer, Jesus said, Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. God wants us to call on him to help us overcome our flesh. We do not have to be perfect before we go to him. Part of the journey of prayer is purification. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Sin hinders our prayers. It doesn't limit God, but our sin is disobedience. And when we're sin, we're telling God, we don't want to do what you tell us to do. We understand that what you're telling us to do is for our good and for your glory, and it's the perfect thing to do. We just don't want to do it. We get sucked into our flesh, our selfishness, our pride, our pleasures. And that sin separates us from God. Psalm sixty-six, eighteen. The psalmist says, If I have cherished iniquity in my heart, the lord would not have listened it's not that god doesn't want to listen matthew chapter 7 verse 11 if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him god wants to give us good things but more importantly, he wants to walk, he wants us to walk in obedience to him. So when we're on this side asking for these good things, and on this side, living in direct disobedience to the things of God, he's going to leave us in our disobedience in himself, desiring that we come to recognize that disobedience and what it is costing us and what it is costing his glory. Because in our turning from that disobedience and turning from that sin and turning toward righteousness and then receiving His righteousness, then we can live in freedom. Then we can be ushered into eternity with Him. As we are purified, our desires come more and more in alignment with God. That's a reality. When we truly come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we're not perfect. Yes, in God's eyes, we are perfect for eternity. But we're still living in this body. We're still living in this life. We still have flesh to die to. And our prayers go up to God, appealing to Him to give us forgiveness, to deliver us from our trespasses, to purify us, to cleanse us in relationship with Him. And He will teach us. He will guide us. He will allow trials to bring things in our heart that we don't even know are in there. I was not the most patient person in waiting for a spouse. I prayed for one. I prayed for contentment in my singleness. Probably not as much as I prayed for a spouse. You can laugh there. I tried to take things into my own hands. I tried to catch the interests of girls. Nothing worked. I continued to pray. God was continuing to work in my heart on that journey a journey of sanctifying me. Because the reality is, I was not ready to be a husband. I had sanctifying that needed to be done. I had maturing that needed to be done. I had self-centered, pleasurable thoughts and desires in my heart that needed to be dealt with, and God knew that. He took me on a journey of, depend- of how to depend on Him and not on other people, not on my friends, not on my parents, not on my siblings, not on a future spouse. But a journey of depending on Him. Not to put my faith in other people. A journey of showing me His grace. The things that He gave me and gifted me with and blessed me with in spite of me. I could tell you stories of grace. There was a, I think I've shared this before, but a podcast I listened to and it was the he was the founder of, of a network, a cable network, and this podcast uh, interviewer always ended with the question, did you get your success out of luck or hard work? And the guy said, well, you call luck, I, saw the, I call the grace of God. And this beautiful lady on the second bench over here, my wife of 22 years, is my wife out of an incredible act of God's Grace. You see, I had to wait nine years for multiple reasons. Most of that was because I needed to be sanctified. And God, through my prayers and seeking a spouse, was sanctifying me and purifying me. The other part of that is my bride that he had for me was nine years younger than me. So it would have been a little awkward if we hadn't waited that long. But when he brought Amanda into my life and answered those prayers... It was by his grace. Why would a beautiful young woman, intelligent young woman with so much ahead of her, why would she sign up to be married to a man 9 years older than her who was blind? That's the grace of God. That's God's provision. That's God's answer to prayers. That's my story. Not all of our challenges end that way. I have my own challenge that hasn't ended that way. I've had my journey with my blindness itself. I have prayed. I have been anointed. I have appealed for my blindness to be healed. My blindness has not yet been healed. In fact, it is slowly progressing. That's why I'm learning to use a cane. That's why I'm trying to get more proficient in Braille. I'm still on that prayer journey. God is teaching me. He is shaping me. He is drawing me closer to Him in that journey. I'm sure many of you have your own testimonies of your prayer journeys that have been answered, your prayer journeys that have not been answered, your prayer journeys that you just really don't think God is even listening at all. I assure you that God is listening. Jesus didn't only give us a model prayer. He actually prayed. Jesus, one of the three parts of the triune God himself, actually prayed to God. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 41. It says that he withdrew from them his disciples about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing Remove this cup from me, talking about the crucifixion that he knew was coming. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. It didn't take that burden from him. it strengthened him. And being in agony. He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. This was Jesus. the Son of God, God incarnate, prayed with such fervency, in such agony that not just drops of blood, but great drops of blood, fell to the ground. God didn't answer his prayer by removing him from the crucifixion. God answered his prayer by strengthening him. Jesus got up from that prayer and he faced the crucifixion because he knew that was God's will. It is hard to walk in the will of God. That cannot be denied. Jesus acknowledged that throughout his earthly ministry. He stood in the face of it and never. He does not expect us to do it perfectly. He did it perfectly for us. He lived, died, and was resurrected to cover our imperfections. But we have a choice. The ability to love. We have the choice whether or not to believe. Another beautiful example of Jesus' prayer is John chapter 17. I'm not there, but I encourage you to read that in your own devotions. Jesus was an incredible prayer. And he gave us many examples. In John 17, he was crying out for us. If Jesus prayed, (coughs) so should we. That's another big why. Prayer reveals the sufficiency of God's grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 8. And this is a text that has been dear to me in the journey of my eyesight. This is Paul concerning the thorn in his flesh. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, God's power, is made perfect in weakness. This is prayer. Paul appealed to God, not once, not twice, but three times to have this thorn removed. And then finally he rested in the fact that God's grace was sufficient. Not that the thorn was removed, but that God's grace was sufficient in the midst of the, of the thorn. Paul appealed through prayer and God answered. Then Paul says, therefore, because God answered, he didn't take the thorn away, but he answered. So therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Why do we pray? It is an incredible gift. It's an access to incredible power. We are going to the throne of the God who created the universe, the God who is madly in love with us, and putting our full faith and trust in him. Why don't we pray? What keeps us from praying? What are our excuses? Because that's what they are. There is no real obstacle to prayer. Anything that prevents us from praying is an excuse. You say, well, it feels pointless. I think we've addressed that. If it feels pointless, it's because our expectations are wrong. God hears our prayers. He answers our prayers. He carries us through this life. It's not about us, it's about God. Another element of this is the, the point of what why, you know, what's the point of it? Well, we have this self-sufficient attitude, we can do it ourselves. With money and assets or abilities. I personally am guilty of this. I like to solve problems. I like to figure things out. But by default, I go to my experiences and my resources first, the people I know, the knowledge I have. Whatever resources I have, I'll go to that first to try to solve a problem. Way too often I go to that first. Instead of first praying and asking God, give me the wisdom. Open the door. Giving it to God. Why don't we pray? Because we are a very self-sufficient people. In the United States, you talk to any missionary in another country, they will say they, they don't know how anybody can be a Christian in the United States. We don't have to depend on God. We do. But because of our resources, Satan fools us into thinking we don't, that we're self-sufficient. In our self-sufficiency, it's a whole lot easier to feed our flesh. So that causes us even more to draw on our self-sufficiency. God wants us to take responsibility, to do what we can do. But it's not to get what we want. It's one way that we can honor Him. Because in taking responsibility, we are walking in obedience but most of all, what God wants for us is to, from us is to give Him the glory. Remember, He is in control. And He wants us to point others to Him. Another why not is that prayer is not comfortable. It doesn't feel right. Yes, it is uncomfortable. And I'm not talking about praying out loud in front of a group of people. We'll take this to the basics of you in your prayer closet, you in your private place, just you and God talking. It's not comfortable. It's not normal relative to what we see as normal in communication. In various ways, it's different than any other type of communication we've done. When we talk to other people, it's a conversation. We can sit face to face. If you can see, you can see their facial expressions. You can hear the inflection in their voice. You can hear the words they say. You can hear their pauses. We understand that way of communicating. If it's through texting or email, bad idea for a deep conversation, just so we're clear on that. But even then, it can be a dialogue a back and forth, an answering of questions, a building on the conversation. When we're talking to God, let's just face it, it feels weird initially, we use that word weird, to talk to somebody who's not there. It's like we're talking to the air. You say, but Kevin, God is there. Yes, God is there. But not in a physical presence. We acknowledge that. But that's not an excuse to not pray. It's an obstacle. It's a difference to overcome. Another reason why we don't pray is because it's convicting. Now, we don't own up to this one very often because it is convicting. Prayer is intimate. When we are truly praying, when we are truly conversing with God, we know that we can't hide anything from him. You see, when we're sitting face to face with someone, when we're texting them or messaging them, we can weigh our words carefully. And we can try to be something to those people that we are not in our hearts. But when we are communing with God, when we are praying to God, when we are relating to God, he knows who we are. And when we pray things out loud or even in our thoughts to God, we have to be real. Sometimes we have to be real with God about things that we've not even been real to ourselves about. So what's our way out? We just don't pray. We don't want to go there. How is your prayer life? What excuses do you use? And not trying to tell anyone that they need to get up and do public prayer. I'm talking to each of us in our own private time. Why do we not pray? Why do I go through those times of drought when I don't pray? Some of these excuses that I just listed. And God has sanctified me. You think about it, we have relationships with our children, and we love them. And we don't understand why they won't talk to us, why they won't share with us. And it's some of these same excuses. They're afraid of us. They can't relate to us. Kind of a funny little anecdote, but I was out working, building the chicken tractor for our chickens. And Thaddeus was helping me like he usually does. And he had told me this story about the neighbors. And I said, I, I was trying to understand. I was genuinely trying to understand. I said, Well, Dad, why is that funny? He said, Well, Dad, you'd understand if you were my age. And I was done at that point. I <laughs> <laughs> but how often does God feel like that with us? Like we just like, God, you don't understand. God understands. We're the ones that don't understand. And the only way that we're going to understand is to continue to talk to God. Continue to push through the excuses. Continue to push through the awkwardness. And trust that God is going to reveal himself. God is going to show himself. God is going to sanctify us. Again, what excuses do you use? That's a rhetorical question. Don't answer it now. At least not out loud. I have a challenge for you this morning. Pray for your prayer life. Ask God to reveal your excuses. Ask God to give you a hunger and a desire Pray for the prayer life of your loved ones. Pray for the spirit to pierce their hearts that they would seek and understand and know a relationship with their creator. Pray for the prayer ministry of our church. That we can be a praying church. That when we're looking for wisdom, but when we're facing trials, when we're facing hurts, that our first response would be to go to communicate, to pray to our creator, to pray to the one who, for whom we gather here this morning. The reason we are here is to glorify God. May we be a church that prays to that God, and not just in ceremony, but in heart, in truth. I'm looking forward to these next few weeks. I hope that you are too. I'm looking forward to them for us as a congregation. I'm looking forward to them to me as a pastor, to me as an individual, as I seek to grow in my prayer life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. God, thank you for this privilege. God, forgive us for where we fail to talk to you. Lord, I pray that you would open our spiritual eyes, each of us individually, to reveal the excuses that we use as to why we don't pray. God, I pray that you would open our spiritual eyes and and truly embrace the urgency of prayer. God, thank you for this truth. Thank you for the gift of prayer. May we walk in the fullness of it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.